Okay, so there we go. So necessity of Scripture is our topic this evening. And the big question then is, why do we need the Bible? Like, there are people throughout church history, at one time they were called mystics, right? They maybe even were true believers. But they said, hey, I don't need to really sit and read the Bible all the time. I don't need to read all these commentaries and all that stuff. I just want to sit in my little prayer room and, and I'll hear from God. His Holy Spirit will speak directly to my heart. And uh, so I don't really need to be so such a bookworm as far as that goes. I just need to do that. So that's still the case today, would you agree? There's a lot of Christians that they would say, well, hey, you know, on the way to work, I have the Christian radio station on and I do my quick little prayers before my meals and before I go to bed or whatever. So do I really need the Bible? The answer is, yes, you really need the Bible. Believers need it. Unbelievers need it. We all need it. Um, so I want to start out with a dis- definition here so we can know where we're, what we're talking about here. When we talk about the necessity of Scripture, uh, this definition uh, is, I think, a pretty good one. The necessity of Scripture means that the Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel, for maintaining spiritual life, and for knowing God's will, but is not necessary for knowing that God exists or for knowing something about God's character or moral laws. We talked about that, you'll remember, the very first lesson, general revelation and special revelation. Uh, General revelation, there's some sense of God that people get through looking around the world, basically. Um, But for salvation, we need the Bible to really understand what what God's plan is to maintain our spiritual life. Um, And uh, so we need to remember that. And one of the passages that we as a Christian Missionary Alliance go to a lot when we're talking about missions Uh, And I think we had this passage come up just recently when we did have our missions weekend. Is from Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 13, where Paul writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of Christ is found in the Bible. Now, that is not to say that it necessarily has to be written. Theoretically, if someone could memorize the whole Bible or the whole New Testament. I knew a guy when I was in the Marines, and he was in the process of memorizing the entire New Testament. And he could recall, he could tell you a verse, you could say a verse, and he'd tell you it. It was pretty amazing. That's pretty difficult. We are, uh, some of our kids at my former church were in Bible quizzing, and some of them would memorize a whole book of the New Testament in a school year, which is pretty phenomenal. So, yeah, you could know that, by memory, you could know God's word and you could share that with someone and they may come to faith in Christ based on the spoken word as well. So we're not necessarily only talking about the physical 
Bible, but we do need to know that unless we had perfect memory and recall, we do need to have the source to continue to go back to. Um, and in fact, to give an example of that, a good friend of mine up in the Orlando area uh, just finished after many years of study, got his master's degrees and, and, uh, and took his engineering um, Oh, here comes Gary. He probably knows what that's called. The, the, whatever exam it is that you're a, a formerly an engineer. Yeah, it's really a hard test. So he didn't make it the first time. And he came back and he took it a second time. And praise God, he got it. And I'm proud of him because I know how hard he worked. But the point is, he, one of the things he was telling me after he failed the first test is he said, some of the stuff I, I thought I knew really well, but they want these really fine detail things that you had to know exactly from manuals that he said nobody memorizes that anymore because the manuals change you go to the manual and you look you know um and the other argument people have made against just rote memorization is that you don't tend to remember it all right Remember the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere, maybe, because it had a rhythm to it, but I still couldn't recall it to you word for word. I, I know I memorized it at some point. The Gettysburg Address, those other things we learned. So you could know the Bible really well, and unless your memory is perfect, not only perfect a day later, we used to joke with the kids when they're memorizing verses, you know, to Juana or at, you know, the, they could say it back to you like five seconds later, but the question is, could they still say it ten minutes later? Could they say it? A week later, a month later, is it really there in their heart? And that's the goal we should have. But we have to realize we're all fallible, and so we need to keep going back to the source again and again. And we have no excuse not to because of uh, the many ways that we can get it, not only physical paper, but now, of course, we have all these devices, and we can always look up God's Word. So when we look at that passage I just read from Romans 10, uh, and I mentioned we use that for um, missions weekend. It's a common verse we passage we go back to to make the point that people need to hear. Remember back from the first class, general revelation, special revelation. General revelation is not enough for someone to become saved. You can't just look and say, oh, there must be a creator, therefore I'm saved. Because there's lots of people in different religions that believe in a creator in a general sense. We need God's word to help us to understand who he is and what he expects of us. And how we can put faith in Jesus. So, if people can only be saved through faith in Christ, which is what scripture teaches us. Then somebody might ask the question, and I think this might have even come up in one of our discussions. uh, Then how did believers under the old covenant how did they get saved? If faith in Christ is the only way to be saved, how did believers in the Old Covenant, be, how were they saved? And the answer has to be that those who are saved in the Old Covenant were also saved through trusting in Christ, even though their faith was a forward-looking faith based on God's word of promise that a Messiah or a Redeemer would come. Um, speaking of Old Testament believers such as Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, the author of Hebrews says, These all died in faith, not having received what was promised, but having seen it and greeted it from afar. Okay, so they, they were promised it, 
and that was the faith they put. It was in a future, the future that Jesus Christ was coming, even though they didn't necessarily know all the details of how that would be. And the same chapter in Hebrews, we call that the hero of faith chapter, Hebrews 11, it goes on to say that Moses considered abuse suffered for Christ, or the Messiah, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And Jesus can say of Abraham in John 8, your father Abraham rejoiced that he was to see and was glad. That apparently refers to Abraham's joy looking forward to the day of the promised Messiah. So even Old Testament believers had saving faith in Christ to whom they looked forward, not with exact knowledge of the historical details of Christ's life, but with a great faith of, in the absolute reality of God's word of promise. So the Bible is necessary for salvation in, the, in this sense, that you either have to read the gospel message in the Bible for yourself or hear it from another person. So even those believers who came to salvation in the Old Covenant did so by trusting in the words of God that, a promise, that promised the Savior to come. Now, it's interesting. I remember a long time ago, I got in an argument with a guy, and uh, the argument was whether somebody actually have to hear, because the Bible says, well, faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ, or can they read the Bible, and like, could someone pick up the Bible and just read it and become saved? Well, I can tell you, my dad was a Gideon. You guys know, anyone not know what Gideons are? You all know what the Gideons are. So my dad was a Gideon, proud to do it, and I was proud of him for being a Gideon. He did street witnessing. He did the handing out of the Bibles. Um, it's a fantastic ministry. Lay people lead that, and, and clergy can't be part of that. It's actually an interesting organization. But I used to go with my dad, because have you guys ever had the Gideons come here and do a little presentation? Okay, so um, my dad did that, and often I would ride along with him. And one of the things that he would do is, I believe that their magazine was called Voice, The Voice or something like that. Um, and my dad would read those testimonies. And testimony after testimony after testimony. Someone was in the hospital and picked up the Gideon Bible. Someone was in a hotel room just about ready to pull the trigger. And they picked up the Bible and they came to salvation, faith in Jesus Christ, just through the reading of the Bible. And so... The Bible is necessary for salvation. It could be through the preached word. could be through a personal sharing of a testimony, but also that has to include the the words of God. Um, And it could also include someone just simply picking up a Bible and reading it for themselves. Now, what's the, the element that's always necessary in all of that? The word of God and what else? Faith and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to be part of that. As you read or as you hear the word of God, whenever someone has come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit was part of that. And so uh, the Holy Spirit can do that as someone sits in the hotel room reading the Bible to themselves as the Holy Spirit illuminates it, or he can do it through the preacher, or he can do it as you share the gospel. But that's an important point, too, that if you're personally sharing the gospel or you think you're sharing the gospel but you don't ever point to any scripture, it's probably unlikely that someone will get saved through them just hearing, well, I love Jesus. Well, that's great. But you've got to read them the word of God. You have to show it to them. Uh, and so that's, that's what we need to be 
doers of the word, we need to present it to people so that they can understand it. And so that's a good thing to think. If you say, I wanna, I'd like to evangelize, I'd like to share the gospel with someone, then a good thing to do might be to you know, either have a little list of verses that you want to open for the person, if your memory is not that good, or if your memory is good, you can memorize some key verses like the Romans Road or the, um, or the Seven Seas, which is a great way to lead people to Christ. Um, and there's just different ways, whatever fits someone's personality. But it has to contain the actual gospel. The words of the Bible have to be presented to people. So, moving on to our next passage here, we're going to look at two of them from 1 Peter. Uh, the first one is from chapter 1, 23 to 25. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fails, or the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the word of the Lord remains forever. This is the good news. This is what brought you to Christ, Peter's saying. This is what brought you to faith. The good news that was preached to you. And then in 1 Peter 2, 2, he wants the believers, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. What does he mean by pure spiritual milk? He means God's word. Okay, So as we look at all these different passages in the scripture, I hope we're seeing how it weaves together to tell us one strong point. We need God's word. We need it. Um, the Bible is necessary for certain knowledge of God's will. If there were no written word of God, we could not have any certainty about God's will at all. Not through other means, not just through conscience. People say, well, I just obey my conscience. Or Jiminy Cricket says, let your conscience be your guide. Well, good luck with that. Because I'm going to show you a verse in a moment that tells you that's probably not the best choice. Um, it could, we, we might say, well, I'll just rely on advice from others. I'll... I'll rely on the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. I'll rely on the circumstances. If, if I'll throw out a fleece and if this and that, I'll go this way. And if this, I'll go that way. All of these sanctified ways of people trying to reason and use common sense, these might give an, uh, you know, maybe an approximation of God's will. Might be more or less reliable. We don't know. But from those means alone, we have no certainty about God's will, whether we can attain it, especially in a fallen world where sin distorts our perception of right and wrong. So we can't rely on ourselves and our own gut feeling or our whatever we want to call it. We have to keep going back to God's word. That will tell us his will. Um, and here's that verse I was talking about. Some of you know this one from Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So, Jiminy Cricket, you want to let your conscience be your guide? Good luck. Pinocchio did a real good job with that, didn't he? My conscience says go to, what was the island, the Pleasure Island or whatever. Um, You know, it didn't work out very well for Pinocchio. So it probably won't work out well for us either. 
We can't let our conscience be our guide. We need to let God's word be our guide. It's necessary for us. And Paul points out that even people who don't have the law, if they do some things that are right, then they are just proving that there is some of God's law written on their hearts. Um, And he says in Romans 2, 14 and 15, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what their law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So does that conflict with what I said a moment ago, when I said that general revelation is not enough to get us saved, but it says here the law is written on our hearts? Does that seem like a possible conflict? We never want to shy away from what might look like a conflict. Let's, let's head right into it. What he is saying here, when, the, when he says the law is written on your hearts, you may remember this from lesson one, and it's been several weeks now. General revelation gives you enough knowledge to know you're guilty. It gives you enough to know you're guilty, and that's, what the world need, that's why they need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus because they know that they feel guilty. Why do people do all the things they do to try to somehow make themselves feel better? And I'll write a check to whatever charity. I'll do this or that. It's because they really know inside. Their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So the law written on our hearts is really enough to get us in trouble, right? It's not enough to get us saved. Hebrews 5.14 Talk about food again. How, how many times we see the reference and the, the word of God is kind of compared to food or, or something like that. Solid food is for their mature, but those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, for those who have their con- powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So if you would be mature, if you would be the one who has power of discernment, that's the ability to see right or wrong or or to have wisdom in a situation. How is it done? By constant practice. Excuse me. To distinguish good from evil. And the Psalms speak uh, many times about um, the blessings of obeying God's word. Psalm 119.1 Blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. There's a blessing to it. Psalm 1, 1 and 2, the very first two verses in the whole book of Psalms. Uh, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Now, excuse me. I don't think I brought a water with me. Okay. Um, meditate here is an interesting word. Um, it, it has the connotation to it as murmur. In other words, a repetition. Um, if, do you remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch? And he was reading out loud. That was actually how most people read back then. Reading was mostly out loud. Now, we've our culture... Reading out loud is more rare. You know, a teacher might do it in the classroom. 
A preacher might do it, but most people sit and read their little book quietly. But uh, Leland says this all the time. If you want to hear, uh, if you want to hear audibly from God, read the Bible out loud, because that's the way that you're reading His Word. It's in your voice, but it's still God's Word, and so um, we need to meditate on it. So that's something too that. Um, I've, I've heard people recommend to do, not just to read it silently, but at least some verses per day. Just read them out loud, even a few times, and, uh, and you'll have a better idea to remember them then. Um, 1 John, oh, thank you, thank you. 1 John 5, 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Now Jesus said something similar, didn't he? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So how do we show the love of God? We keep his commandments. How do we know his commandments? We read God's word. So I, I think I put this in your notes because I, I, I found this little thing the philosopher says. The fact that we do not know everything requires us to be uncertain about everything we do claim to know. Now, isn't that just how a philosopher would talk, right? But there's actually, that's, that's a very clever way of putting it, but it actually, uh, if, you, if you take and think about it for a second, it makes a lot of sense. We know we don't know everything unless we're really, really arrogant and narcissistic, and hopefully no one in this room is that way. We don't know everything. The fact that we can admit we don't know everything means that the things we do know, we at least have some uncertainty about. So you can look at any current event, and there's people with really strong opinions, and they'll say, this is what should be done, or this is what is going on, and you know, we'll see who's right in the end. We don't always know. <laughs> but, uh, but we can be a little philosophical, right? Now, if we're going to talk about degrees of certainty of knowledge that we have, then the highest knowledge we attain from Scripture would have to have the highest degree of certainty. Um, if the word certain can be applied to any kind of human knowledge, it can be a lot applied to this knowledge, the knowledge of Scripture. So, um, the lesson is a little shorter tonight, um, partly because my week got away from me. <laughs> but also partly because I've been noticing that um, more and more of the groups aren't getting through the questions, which means you guys are having good discussions. So, uh, so with that, I'm going to close down my part of it, and uh, we'll divide up into our smaller groups. Um, I usually say four to five. I've noticed it's been more like six to eight, so I'm not even going to tell you how, what size you need to have because you won't listen anyway. So, no, I'm kidding. But, uh, but hopefully this has been good. So let's sit down together and, and we'll take a look at those questions. And if, Josiah, you could slide to the next slide, then it'll end the recording.